you prayed for the preacher. I'm going to begin reading verse 1, read down through and include verse 7 just to give you to get you to get the feel of this thing. In the first couple of verses, he tells us what we are. The next couple of verses, he tells us what God has done so he can tell us what we can become. It's a great, there's just preaching all over this place, but God has given me a specific message and I'll do my best to stick to it. Paul said to the Galatians, now I say, that the heir, speaking of a child, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were, under, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But, well, I like that word. I love that word in the Word of God. I love, it's my favorite word in the Word of God. But, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons of God, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son, than an heir of God. Through Christ. Father, we're thankful this morning for the privilege of being in the house of the Lord. And like Brother Greg sang, the choir backed him up. We're glad that you're in this place. God, glad that you're not limited to one moment, to one place at one time. But glad, God, that you're omnipresent, that you're everywhere, God, with all your fullness, Lord, at the same time. Now, Father, I don't understand that. I, I can't perceive you. Thank God I can believe you and know that you are. And I thank you for that. And I pray, God, that some of those that came with doubt, some of those that are in total darkness, some of those listening, looking, maybe in this place, may today, God, they feel the weight of your conviction. May they feel the power of your word. And may they be convinced that they are a sinner with a need of Christ as their Savior. Lord, and then may they be converted. May Uh, Be made a new creature in Christ. That's what this is all about. Have your own way, Father. Bless this lump of clay. I need you. I don't just pray here, God, at this time and every service that, that, that I preach because it's just something to do. God, I'm saying publicly that I need you. So I pray, God, for that anointing, for that touch, for that stirring of the Spirit. Have your own way, God, our Father, in blessing your people, edifying them, glorifying them, uh, your name, and Father, bringing men and women to a decision about trusting you. It's in your name that I pray these things, and all of God's people said, Amen. Now, of everything that I could, I could preach from in that passage, and I could preach from words, I could, I could preach from verses or phrases, I'm going to preach just one phrase that you'll find in verse 4, and it says this, When the fullness of time was come. What an amazing statement, friend. What an amazing... That's what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you today about how God prepared for His Son. May I tell you this just from the beginning? It was no accident that Jesus showed up in a manger uh, one night, blessed God, in a little town called Bethlehem, was uh, uh, the house of David, which is the seed of bread. It was no accident that He showed up there when He showed up. Amen. I mean to tell you, God had made a plan way back in eternity that He would send His Son to redeem mankind that had not yet been created, that had not yet fallen, that had not yet disobeyed and transgressed His law. Even before the mud seals of the world were laid, 
God had a plan of salvation in place so that sinners like you and I could be saved. And for that I say glory to God. Now look, I don't know about y'all, but I, I don't like being late. Seems like to me, and if this, if this affects you, either get over it or not, some people live to be late. Now I've got, I've got a belief that if you can be late, you can be early. You can be late, you can be on time. I mean, I mean, really, folks, and, and you say you're picking on me. No, I'm just illustrating something. Aren't you glad God's always on time? I, I mean, look, even when it seems like He's four days late, He's always on time. You know what this phrase, when the fullness of time uh, was come, God sent forth His Son. You, you know what that really means? It means at an exact time. Listen, friend, when it was the perfect exact time um, that God was to send His Son of the world, God made sure that everything was in place so when His Son came into this world, it would be exactly like God needed it to be, wanted it to be, desired it to be, so His Son could be what He came to be. And I'm glad for that, aren't you? Listen, friend, it's no accident what God has done. God is sovereign. Do you hear me? God doesn't waste time. God hidden in glory, twiddling his thumbs, looking over at the sun and talking to the Holy Ghost, saying, my, what in the world are we going to do now? Hey, friend, he's got it in tow. Everything that has taken place is taking place, will take place. Uh, Bless God, he knows about it. He's sovereign. He's sufficient. Thank God. He's almighty, almighty God. Can I tell you, friend, look, when it seems like God's not doing something, hey, everybody listening right now, say amen. When it seems like God's not doing something, you can rest assured He's doing something. We say, preacher, it doesn't seem like it to me. Well, that's just where you and I are small in our understanding. We're limited in our thinking. We're, 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 we're uh, little in our knowing. You see what I mean, preacher? Well, let's get a couple of, uh, of illustrations. How many of you all remember hearing about a man by the name of Joseph? What a life Joseph had. An amazing life, was it not? How many of you are glad for Joseph and his testimony? Man, I'll tell you, I am. But listen, listen, when it started out for Joseph, the age of 17, when he was in the bottom of a pit looking up with his brothers who had murder in their heart, they had his coat of many colors, they were getting ready to deceive his dad and sell him to a bunch of Ishmaelites going to Egypt. Look pretty bleak. I'm thankful for Joseph's life. But can I tell you all something? Listen, it takes a while to get from the pit to the palace. Everybody likes the palace. Everybody likes the palace, the glory, the good, the blessings, the lifted up, the highlight. But can I tell you, friend, listen, before honor, the Word of God says, not me, is humility. I'm thinking according to the word of God the only way that God can take us up is to bring us down and it seemed like to me the greater God breaks people uh, the greater he can use them when he's put them back together again y'all know what Humpty Dumpty's problem was he had the wrong king trying to put him back together I'm, I'm telling you friend listen when we don't know why God's doing what he's doing or what he is doing Everybody take us down. Make a note of it. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. Listen, in the dark, 
uh, because of the things we've learned in the light. 13 years. Nothing that seemed like bad problems with Joseph. Everywhere Joseph went, God was with him. Newsflash, everywhere you go, God's with you. I've got the book. It says I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but I'll be with you always to the end of the world. I can show you the book where God is the very present help in the time of need. And people say, well, God's forgotten me. God's forsaken me. Why does God? I mean to tell you God's got a purpose that you nor I know yet. And let me go a little bit further. People say, oh, we're going to know everything in eternity. I doubt that. I really doubt that. There are going to be things we'll forget about when we get in eternity. We think we want answers for now, but when we get there, it won't matter. It'll be a part of a forgotten past. And we'll be so caught up. Are y'all ready for this? Somebody ought to get happy somewhere along the line. Hey, we'll be so caught up with being there. These things won't matter. Amen. We'll be caught up with the glory and the beauty and the power and the magnificent place that God has sent His Son to create. It won't matter. Everybody wants to go to the palace, but sometimes you've got to start in the pit and go through Potiphar's house and all the, even to the, to the, into the prison. But can I tell you something, sir, ma'am? While, listen, while you are waiting, God is working. When the butler forgets you, God has not forgotten you. And you say, preacher, I don't understand this. Go home, start in Genesis 35, read through the end of the book, and you'll learn something about the life of Joseph. What about a man by the name of David? Everybody knows a little bit about David, does he not? David, you, you know, he was king-elect. You, know you know one of the greatest things that impresses me about David after Samuel went down to Bethlehem and finally got his daddy to bring him out of the field so he could anoint him as, as king-elect? You, you know where the next time they, we find David in the Word of God, he was back out keeping his sheep. He wasn't pushing his way into the palace, into the king's room. He wasn't trying on crowns down at Tiffany's. He wasn't, he wasn't talking to the carpenters to build him a throne. He was back out keeping the sheep. You say, what that mean, preacher? Listen, he knew God was on him. He knew the Spirit was in him. He was just waiting on the day for God to do his stuff through him. Now, this is good. As a matter of fact, I'm preaching better than I can preach. You, you, y'all know the story three or five times, if I'm remembering even close. Saul tried to kill David. Thirteen years he was on the run. I, I, mean, I mean, he was on the run. What, what's that show? The fugitive? Is that it? That guy was accused of killing his, you know, the doctor killing him? He was a fugitive. He was lied on. He was misunderstood. He was hated. I mean to tell you, listen, but God was building things in him. Let me tell you, sir, ma'am, while you seem to be waiting on the sideline, God is working. You, you may not have the captain's position. You may not be the quarterback or the center, but you're the center of God's will if you're right where He wants you to be. I'm in a desert. If that's where He wants you to be, you ought to rejoice. I'm not where I want to be. But look, it's more important that we're where we need to be than where we want to be. 
I know this isn't easy to take. I have those times, and you don't even know whether I'm in one of those times or not. But let me tell you, sir, ma'am, listen. Hey, when it was finally time for David to uh, hit his stride, God was there, brought him up, and this king was anointed three times. There's got to be a message in that. Look, let me go on a couple of more. There's a lot of places we could, we could illustrate. What about a man by the name of Abraham? Hey, Abe, how old was Abraham when God brought him out of the earth of the Chaldeans? Anybody? 20 or 75 years of age. His wife, Sarai, she was 65 and was still a looker. I can prove it in the Word of God. And brothers, don't y'all wish y'all had a wife like Sarah? She called Abraham Lord. Some of y'all get that and some of you won't. You know what God, you, you know what God told Abraham? He said, now listen, buddy. He didn't call him buddy. He said, listen, Abraham. Maybe he called him Abe. He said, if you just believe me, accept my word. Here's what I'll do. I'll make your name great. I'll give you a chunk of land that's the most valuable piece of land in all the world. And I'll give you more kids than you can count, dude. I'll give you a heavenly seed and an earthly seed. And Abraham said, I'll take the deal. You know what? Abraham waited. And waited. And waited. And he decided, well, since God... Now look, when we get to the point, listen now, the key phrase was... He decided, when we get to the place, we begin to decide things that God has not told us, we're heading for trouble. When we begin to sound like Nahum and the leper, when he said, I thought, we get in trouble. Anybody besides me ever felt, been found guilty of thinking you knew more than God knew? That's not a good place to be. Abraham said, well, Eliezer's got to be my heir. And God said, no, it's not going to be Eliezer. If you'll just, all right, y'all ready? If anybody, if this is your favorite word, stand up and say, it's my favorite word, real quick, after I say it. All right, Abraham, you just need to wait. Nobody likes waiting. But can I tell you, it's necessary. We even got to wait on eggs to boil. And we wait on the popcorn to get done with our hand on the handle of the microwave. You do it too. Don't you sit back there and try to be like real religious on these kind of things. I mean, I mean to tell you, waiting is hard stuff, but it is not, ever heard me say not, say man, it is not a waste of time. When we can't see what God's doing, even when we can't feel what God is doing. God is doing something in us that we need done. You ever get to the place where you can finally hear God? Somebody said one time, is God, is God speaking? Listen, it's my conviction that God is always speaking. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, am I listening? I believe God's always speaking in creation, in His Word. I believe He's always talking. I believe His Word is always going out. And I, I remember one time in prayer, God nailed me. I said, Lord, help me to, help me to hear what you're saying. He said, well, the reason you can't hear, son, is you're not listening. 
You see, because someone in that press said something, Lord, Lord, would you speak to me? And he kind of let me know he was speaking to me. You know what happened though? While, while Abraham decided that, that while he was waiting, he'd do something. Isn't, isn't that how we're made? Well, I, I need to do something. Is anybody here this morning? I, I, mean, I mean, aren't we that way? We think we've got to do something. No, sometimes the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting's not easy, but it's necessary. While Abraham decided he was going to do something because his wife said, honey, why don't you take Hagar to have a, have a baby? And then she blamed him for it. I mean, it was a mess. We're still dealing with that mess of, of Ishmaelites today. They should have waited. They should have waited. How, how, about, how about 400 years down in Egypt for his seed? Don't you think that was hard to wait? How about the 4,000 years that had to pass from the time God said to Eve in the garden in verse 15 that I'll send you a Redeemer? 4,000 years had to pass before he came. Now let me tell you something. If you learn to live with mystery, you'll be much better off. Because life, the best I've got it figured out and have learned in these 69 years that I have been blessed to live, is full of mystery. Full of it. But can I tell you what God gives for those times when we can't figure the mystery out? He gives us faith. He gives us trust. He gives us an assurance. And He gives us a book that says, listen, you and I can trust Him. Let me go on. Can I tell you, God moves. He acts. He does what He does. Listen, friend, in times and ages, through the centuries and through the millenniums, He does exactly what needs to be done at the exact time that it needs to be done. You see, His holy purpose never changes because He never changes. Can I tell you what you and I can't get Him to do? Can't get Him to hurry. One of my favorite prayers I found in, in a, uh, Henry's uh, Farmer's Almanac. Is that, is that what it is? Is it Henry's? Well, the Farmer's Almanac, not Henry's. I don't know where Henry came. I guess Henry read Farmer's Almanac. It was in the Farmer's Almanac. I never will forget it. The prayer says, Lord, give me patience and give them to me right now. That's my favorite prayer right there. Amen. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. And he said, but when the fullness of time was come, the exact time known by God, Known by God when His Son was to be born. Not only born, but when His Son was to be crucified. Not only crucified, but when His Son was to be resurrected. And even now that He's gone to come back, God knows the exact time when it was right and will be yet right. And I'm glad God knows. So let's look at a couple of things. What did God do in preparing for His Son? Well... Number one, he had a cultural preparation. Well, I'll tell you what, our culture in America is in a mess. Y'all do know what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to destroy the home. And unfortunately, he's doing too good a job at it. 
I mean to tell you the whole, you say, why is the home under attack? Well, all you do is read your Bible. In the beginning, friend, that is the first entity that God put together. And He knows that all of society hinges upon the strength or weakness of the whole. Man can try to change this definition all man wants to, but it doesn't change it in the Word of God. And it won't change it on the day of judgment when we stand before Him. But social life, social order. If we were to look, and I'm not going to, you can sometime in the 8th chapter of the book of, of Daniel, you'll find that as Nebuchadnezzar had received a dream and, and, and he saw in an image all of the different kingdoms of the world in, in the different metals that he saw from the head of gold to the feet of clay mixed with iron. Daniel saw those same kingdoms depicted in via beasts. Now let me tell y'all something. Why did God show to Daniel that the kingdoms of the world are going to be led by beasts like men? Because men are like beasts. When they don't have God in their heart. Now, I don't have time to develop that, but that thing will preach right there itself. And if we were to focus on something, listen, the first great Gentile world kingdom, you all know, uh, was of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. And the next one that came along is depicted as a bear that had a couple of, uh, uh, of ribs in its mouth. That depicted uh, Persia and Media. But there is a third animal uh, that Daniel saw in his dream. And he said it was a goat. Let's just turn to it and read it. I've got to read one verse. Chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll, we'll, read, we'll read one verse. Maybe two at the most. But one verse for sure. Listen to this in verse 5. As I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west, the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. You know what he did uh, to the other beast that he had? He stomped him to the ground. You know who this is a picture of? Do you know who this is prophecy of? It was prophecy of a man by the name of Alexander the Great. Now, can I tell you all what? One of the books that the devil criticizes and attacks constantly is the book of Daniel. Along with the book of Genesis, along with the book of Jonah, along with the book of the Revelation. And there are a couple of others, but those are the four preeminent ones. And I could tell you the reason behind that in all four books. But the book of Daniel is so criticized. They say, now listen, and they're right to a part. No man can see the future with such clarity as did Daniel. That's right, friend. No man can except the holy man of God inspired by the Spirit of God and moved in writing the things that he did. And he wrote them with such precision. The critics of the the modern uh, Bible critic societies of our day say it's impossible that a man could write the Word of God with such precision. I'm here to tell you they ain't seen nothing yet. And up to this point, every prophecy that should have been fulfilled by this point in time has been. And those that haven't been will be. Listen now in the fullness of time. Along came this man by the name of of Alexander the Great. You know what he did? In 12 years, he conquered the world. 12 short years. 
Before modern transportation, missiles and, and airplanes and all of those things, he did it with men on the ground. He conquered the world. And then I read in history where he wept when he had no other worlds to conquer. Died a drunkard. Isn't that amazing? But what happened during this period of time? In, three, in 350 B.C., God did something in the culture by establishing this great nation, the Greek nation, the Greeks, who, who like, like the Greeks in the adult class, listen, friend, they were the intelligentsia of this world. I mean, they, they, raised, they raised architecture, culture, a literature, language to a, to a point that no other man had by that time. And let me tell you all this, as far as I'm concerned, the Greek language is still the most precise language there is. You know what with God doing? This with the culture that He did, you know what He did? He prepared. He prepared this world. He prepared this planet for the message of His Son. Y'all know that all the New Testament was written in what they call the Koine Greek language? The Koine Greek language was a common language of the, uh, of the street. It was a language that was most well known by man or most likely to be known by man. And it was during the age of a man by the name of Alexander the Great who was not a believer that God prepared culture to receive His Son. Isn't it amazing? How come y'all got so quiet, by the way? I mean, to tell you, God was at work. And oh, believe me today, God is still at work. God is working. He brought together a universal language. And let me, let me throw a jab into people that don't believe God is big enough to preserve His Word. When Jesus Himself was on planet earth, somebody shouted out what version of the Bible was in place that they used when Jesus was on planet earth because none of the original autographs were in existence when Jesus was on earth. What was, what, was the, what was the translation of the Old Testament in, in place when Jesus was here that he and others used? What was it called? The Septuagint. It was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was widely accepted. People that think God, listen, can't inspire and preserve his word. Hey, they need to go back to school and find the truth. About the God that sent the world. Word. Hey, listen. Hey, let me. Let, can I stop for a minute and just make a statement? If God's not able to preserve His word, friend, you and I've got a problem with worrying about our soul. I'll tell you that. But not only did God prepare culture, you know what else He prepared? He did some political preparation. Now let me let me throw this in that I didn't I didn't mention this in my message this morning. But God is preparing a generation for what's ahead. He's preparing a generation for the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. See, I could preach right there for 30 minutes without drawing a long breath. I could give you illustration after illustration of what's going on. And if you'd have heard the testimony that Greg gave in the Sunday school class this morning about a woman that says our family doesn't do church, bless God, he's getting this nation and this world ready. 
You ever, you ever wonder why you here for so many years and the best I can remember, George Bush, the father, he was the first one that started talking about, quote, the thousand points of light and globalization. The reason it's being pushed today, it's the Word of God. There's going to be a, there's going to be a global government. There's going to be a global church. There's going to be a global leader. Thank God, aren't you glad if you're saved, you're going to be gone. Yeah, we'll be gone. Look in chapter 2 of the book of Luke. Greg will beat you to it this week. I thought you were going in there this week. But listen, listen to what chapter 2 says, verses 1 and 2. Now you all know this scripture will be read multitudes of time here in the next few days. And listen to what it says. And it came to pass. I love that phrase too. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now listen to me. You all can read all kinds of different commentaries by different educated and scholarly people that say you cannot pinpoint this down. Can't pinpoint the fact that Cyrenius was governor of Syria. That you, you just can't get... They, listen, they try every way from Sunday to try to figure this out. But look, look, here's what I believe. I don't have a bit of problem believing that, Sir, that, that Cyrenius was governor of Syria because the Word of God says it. You say, preacher, you don't have any prodigy proof. You don't have any coinage with his name on it. You don't have any documents that says that he was... Hogwash, dude, I've got all the proof that I need right there. And the seal of it is the Spirit in my heart. For the first time, Caesar Augustus, he was, what, something Octavius, I can't, can't forget his name. He went through different name changes Do he got to Augustus. He was asleep one night, and the Lord said, Hey, Caesar, won't you tax the world? Y'all think I'm crazy, don't you? He didn't speak it like that, but in his heart, he impressed him to say, hey, you that are ruler over all the world, pretty much, the Roman Empire stretched from east to west. God got the, the head honcho of that great empire and says, look, I want you to, I want you to tax the world. Now, he didn't know it, but here's why. Everybody in here that knows why, without knowing why, say Amen. One, two, three. All right, you all knew it without knowing it. There was a man by the name of Joseph who was espoused to a woman by the name of Mary who was a virgin who was going to be visited by the angel Gabriel who was going to have the Holy Ghost like the, like the, like the Shekinah glory overshadowed the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament overshadow her. She was going to conceive in her heart a holy thing. He was going to be the son of God or son of David. He was going to be the holy one. He was going to set upon um, the throne of a kingdom and rule over a thousand years. But more importantly, he was going to be the Savior of the world but the problem was Joseph and Mary was in Nazareth and Micah said 700 years before it happened that the son of God who was going from had been from old from everlasting to everlasting would be born in Bethlehem in the house of bread in the city of David so 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 God didn't send Joseph and Mary an email. He sent a message to Caesar Augustus 
who was grand potentate of all the world and said, hey buddy, have them all to be taxed. And here's why. Read this. Listen to what it says. I think it tells us here. And it came to pass in those days that there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. This was a Roman thing, not a Jewish thing. Did y'all hear me? And you know what the Roman law was? That every individual had to make census at his home port. Y'all know that? It was, it was, it was imperative that they go to Bethlehem and mark their census because they were house of David. Who knows? Maybe that's where they grew up and moved to Nazareth. But if that's the case, that wasn't a place Jesus was to be. There was a Bethlehem in, in the Galilean area in the north, but God needed him in Bethlehem of Euphrates. So God said, Caesar, do me a favor. You want you some more money? Announce that there's going to be a taxing, Roman style. And you know what happened? Because that Mary was a spouse to Joseph, she had to make a 90 to 97 mile trek. A hard trek over a period of time. Took a few days. Down through the Jordan Rift Valley, up the Judean hillside, six miles south of the, of the city of Jerusalem to a place called Bethlehem. And you know what? It was not the night she got there like the pageants and the Christmas cards say, but while she was there, it was accomplished that she could bring forth her firstborn child. Are y'all still with me? God was working in this. And I mean to tell you, in an amazing way, God simply moved the world in order to make sure His Son would be birthed in a place that He said He was to be birthed. The roads at that time were paved. Traveling was relatively easy. Messages could be sent in the days of, of Roman rule, friend, in a quick manner of time. And it was imperative that Jesus be born in Bethlehem. And finally, He not only made cultural preparation, political preparation, but He also made personal preparation. I don't think anybody in here, and I'll start with myself, I know I can't. I don't think any of us can understand the mind of God. But God planned His birth the birth of his son complete. It was no accident. There was nothing left to chance. And modern Bible people say that, well, you know what, Mary really, you know, you don't have to say she was a virgin. I, I got to do is put in there she was a fair maiden. Uh-uh, folks. It was a necessity that Mary be a virgin. In the strictest sense. And in the New Testament, I believe, what, five times maybe in the New Testament, the word parthenos, which means virgin in the strictest sense, was used by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he moved Matthew and Luke to write about the birth of God's only begotten Son. I don't have time to go into the detail to tell you that Jesus needed to be not, not just a man, but more than a man in order to be a Savior 
wouldn't have done him to be uh, in any wouldn't done him or us any good for him to be born just as any other natural man because if that had been the case he'd have been born a sinner like you and I in need of the Savior himself but when he was born he was both God and man so much so that he was, he was very God, a very God, very man, a very man, and, and neither of his personalities that were gathered up in one body uh, uh, hurt the other or got in the way of the other. I don't know exactly how to explain what I'm seeing in my head. God made personal preparation. You see, in eternity, in eternity past, when he placed, planned to send out his only begotten son, friend, listen, Turn with me to the book of, uh, of Hebrews really quick, and then we're going to close. The book of Hebrews chapter 2. He didn't send him through the angels. I, I mean, if you think about it, God could have done anything. Anything. I've wondered about why the time. Well, the time's two, two, two answers I've given you today in this message. The place well, it makes sense. Bethlehem is the house of bread. And it makes sense to me that the, uh, the bread of life be birthed in the house of bread. Bet meaning house and Bethlehem means bread. I mean, I mean, God's precise. He's wanting to give us a message. And here in the book of Hebrews, listen to what he said. I, 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 ought, to, I ought to read from verse 9 down. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise put, took part of the same that through, the de- that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death and that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now watch the next two verses. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels but took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made likened unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He didn't choose Jesus to come as an angel or, or any other way. But he said, I want you to be the seed of Abraham. Matthew 1.1 the book of, the, of the, the, the beginning, the book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He put him in the right family. Put him in the right racial place and then the right royal place because he said it was the son of David. God made no mistake. Matter of fact, he said, now listen, you're, you're not only going to be born to the right family, you're going to be born to the right tribe. You, you know who he was a descendant of Jesus? He was the center of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that amazing? The fourth son. You'd have thought it would have been the first son. But if you knew Jacob's sons like God and Jacob knew him, you know why it'd be the fourth son. It was through the right family, through the right tribe. And he sent him, friend, through the right branch of that tribe of David. Jesus is a greater son of King David. He's seeing him, friend, in the kingly line. Can I tell you what? To me, the most important thing is he sent him the seed of a woman, just like he promised. I don't have time to get in that, but you all do know that the seed doesn't, doesn't come from the woman when it comes to birth, it comes from the man. You know what God was doing this when he told, 
when he told Eve in the garden, look, I, I got news for you, Satan. The seed of the woman is going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. I mean, God did something amazing. Even in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 1, uh, we, we, we find that there were five women and at least three of them and even four of them in many ways was of questionable nature. Tamar deceived her father-in-law and had a child by him. David had a great-great-grandmother by the name of Rahab who was a harlot. Bathsheba, who uh, was the mother of Solomon and also another man that we need to learn more about, Nathan. Nathan is an important name. She committed adultery with David. Isn't that amazing? To a family like that, God has sent His Son. You say, why listen? He was giving everybody hope that from the, the, the worst of sinners to the best of sinners, if I could say it that way, can be saved if they choose to be. Come on, Judy. You know what I'm talking about? God has made preparation for His Son to be born. His Son to come into this world so He could seek and save those which was lost. Let me ask you something. What kind of preparation have you made? Listen to what I'm going to say. In eternity past, God made preparation for your eternity that's yet to come. God made ample provision. He made it available. It's simple. It's for whosoever will. But are you ready for eternity? If you were to die today, now listen to what I'm going to tell you. Not according to how you feel, not according to what you think, but according to this, where will you spend eternity? Now it's just this simple. You, knowing about Jesus isn't enough. You've got to know Him personally. The Bible says, we preach it here, so do a lot of other places, you must be born again. It's not about us being good. It's not about us being right in our own mind. It's being right with God. If you made ample provision for your soul in eternity, now, I'm going to be honest with you, friend. We, we, we listen. Our world does a lot of it, but they don't think much about sin anymore. I mean, they, don't, they think so little of it, they, they change the name of sin. But can I tell you, sin is sin. I can take you to the book of Galatians 5 and read you a list of things that are sin. I can take you to the book of Mark chapter 7, 8, or 9 and read you a list of sin that comes out of the heart that will scare the bejeebies out of you. Christ came to save sinners. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the book says. You may not think much about this book today, but you're going to meet it in judgment one day. And it'll be that very book that I'm preaching from that you'll give an account of, of your life and why you either accepted or rejected Jesus, if you reject Him especially.